Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. There's so many times I've busted my ass to try to get something and it hasn't happened. And it was just, you, you can definitely start to get to a point to where you're like, man, man, maybe I just, you know, you got to keep throwing darts against the wall and maybe one of them will stick. But then after a while, you're like, maybe one's just not going to stick or maybe I'll hit 70 and then I'll fucking get a, you know, I'll, I'll be in the Golden Girls reboot and I'll have gotten a sex change and I'll be B. Arthur or something. But, you know, but, uh, but when I got Mad TV, it was a, it was a big like, fuck man, all that work paid off and, uh, and it happened. And so that was pretty cool. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. I am so sorry this podcast is late, but I happen to live in Malibu, California, and if you've been reading anything about what's been happening there, it's a really rough time with the fires, and a couple of days ago, with an hour's notice, we had to evacuate our home, and I took about 1% of 1% of 1% of 1% of our possessions in the house and just started taking off on the Pacific Coast Highway with my boys, and it was bumper-to-bumper traffic. The first six miles took us three hours, so you can imagine how long it took to get down to Santa Monica from Zuma Beach. It was like nothing I'd ever seen. It was a holding area for people who didn't have cars, public transportation. So on the beach, there were hundreds and hundreds of people with animals and alpacas and horses and everything that you could even think of. But we got out safe and we still don't know if our home is lost or if it's still there and we won't know for a while but I'm glad we're safe and I want to thank everyone from all over the world that reached out to me and sent such really beautiful messages and so many people offering me places to stay all over Los Angeles with my boys and I can't even begin to thank you guys enough it's just 
really overwhelming. And I'm grateful and thank you all so much, not just for that, but for supporting this show and being so kind and generous to me. And I feel really bad because my guest today, Adam Ray, didn't get a fair shake. He didn't get his podcast out on Thursday morning like it's supposed to. And true to form, you'll never hear from Adam Ray saying that he's upset or that he's disappointed because Adam Ray's all heart, a guy who always is there, always says nice things, and no one in the world ever says a bad thing about Adam Ray because they know how kind, sincere, and generous a person he is. But not just that, he's hardworking. He's always working on every piece of his craft, and he's not afraid to go out and do things that might not always be considered the lane that he originally thought he'd be in. Not only does he do stand-up, but he hosts an amazing podcast called About Last Night with Brad Williams, another phenomenally nice and great man. But he also has hosted shows on television. He's done many, many roles in scripted series as well as feature films, worked with some of the greatest people in the world from Melissa McCarthy to Sandra Bullock and down the line. And I think the biggest thing that I sum up when I talk about Adam Ray is a conversation I had with a client. I said to the client, tell me somebody around your level that is doing the kinds of things that you want to do in your career. And this client, without missing a beat, looked at me and he said, Adam Ray. That says it all, because in any profession, if your peers are talking about you, then you don't need to talk about you. And that's what I take from Adam Ray. Who wants to be the guy who isn't talked about? Do you want to be the comedian who does the set that kills in the comedy club, but no one comes in the room from the outside of all the other comedians to watch it? Or do you want to be the person who goes on stage maybe doesn't always have the greatest set in the world, but is always working on new things, trying to improve upon yourself. And every comedian from the outside in the restaurant and the bar comes in to watch your set. You know the answer to that question, and you can apply it to every profession out there. I can guarantee you if you can figure that out in your professional life, you'll have the possibility of the kind of career that Adam Ray has. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and Seaman. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Out of the air! Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. Tell the audience the first time you and your sister 
experience the first night than another guy stays over the house? Um, oh, geez. Uh, that was, I think, in yeah. That was oh man, I don't even I don't even think it was explained. I think I just walked upstairs. But this is somebody that she had been dating a little bit. Um, this was before my uh, stepdad and uh, currently and and we had known him for a while too. They were friends, and we'd known him. He was actually even helping us tutor with stuff, and he was um, this brilliant dude, and and uh, uh, would play come to all my basketball games and. Um, so we knew him for a while. It was just as a family friend. So it was almost very comfortable that when they started dating, it was like, oh, okay, it wasn't really a big deal that he stayed over. And I, I think again, at that point, I just had a little bit more, uh, of, uh, of a desire of like, and recognition that she needed that, you know, where it was like, okay, like I, it almost, it was going to affect my decision to go to LA and go to USC for college because I was like, oh, I don't want to leave her knowing that she's again by herself my, my sister was still gone at the time and uh but yeah i mean you, you it was weird you like walk upstairs and see a dude I'm, i think one time he was like wearing her robe and i was like all right dude at least like be wearing your own <laughs> your own set of clothes here <laughs> like that's fucking you know but um uh rest in peace he died of parkinson's but um he was a great dude during this time, like you said, between eighth grade and high school, you made that transition. You lost the weight. You were doing impressions for your friends. Yeah, I would. Uh, yeah, the impressions of friends and teachers, and I would prank call Seattle sports radio stations for two, three hours every night, doing different voices, calling back three, four times on the show. What were your first three to five go-to impressions? <laughs> oh man, uh, Bill Cosby. <laughs> uh, you know the uh the early days of cosby so what's the early cosby voice it was pretty much you know i'd be like hey i didn't have time to do my homework because i was up all night with theo <laughs> um and then they'd be like okay cool but did you do the assignment no no i didn't do it yeah <laughs> uh and then um i do bill clinton i think that was where it was just you know i would just uh sometimes call some of my friends parents and be like I'm uh, hoping that you run. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, when you're making a decision this fall again, uh, look, look for look for my face and name. Uh, I would really, I'll actually be in your neck of the woods and would love to come by for a meatloaf dinner. Um, uh, you know, and then uh, Kermit the Frog, uh, Splinter from the Ninja Turtles, the classics. Um, and it's so funny because I never really, you know, I, I feel like I can mimic voices uh now pretty good but i never took that path of becoming like a true impressionist you know what's the impression that you did or could do that's one that very few people do i remember i did uh, a ray romano pretty early that no and this was like before he was even like super it might even before everybody loves raymond and so people didn't know who it was um but uh yeah, Tony Danza maybe or uh um Whoopi Goldberg <laughs> might have been a really obscure one. Uh yeah, it it again it was um it just really one of those things where it was trying to do it just to make people laugh. And and obviously as soon as you do an impression and you see that it's 
not getting the re- response you want, you're like, okay, that's probably not a voice I can do or should do again. So what was the inspiration for you that you saw or was there a moment or something you watched on television or film that you said, well, I want to be in this business? Uh, Eddie Murphy's Delirious was when I knew I wanted to uh, try to make this a career uh, just because that was the first stand-up that I saw that that resonated and uh, it gave me some sort of indication that what I was doing with my friends could maybe you know you just have so when you're that far removed from the business you have no and, and don't know anyone in it you know i have you know theater experience and know people in plays but that doesn't translate to to movies like nobody in that world uh could give me any advice or insight so that and uh i mean look robin williams was always my guy and that was uh once i remember actually i went and saw Mrs. Doubtfire for a buddy's birthday and this was like maybe a week after my folks split up and obviously divorce is like a, a you know a solid theme of that story and being in the theater for my buddy's birthday and then we went to like you know some pizza place after and I'm sitting there just like <laughs> sobbing in the theater and my buddy's like why are you crying on my birthday man he's like you're ruining my birthday I was like this fucking you tell me you're gonna see a divorce movie like you know what just happened a week ago and uh but seeing somebody like tug at the heartstrings like that and be so undeniably funny I was like I want to do that I knew that at yeah that was like what I, I guess age nine or ten so that's when I knew I wanted to be because then it gave me this sense of oh cool I can make people laugh but also do what Robin Williams was doing to me which was um you know make me uh not just feel sad but just uh you know I walked out of that theater with um feeling upbeat and uplifted a little bit because it was you know I think probably cathartic to watch something like that that resonated so hard with what I was actually going through but see it be done so beautifully and I was like oh I want to do that because I again think going back to wanting to make people feel good and be a people pleaser I was like how can I do that on a on a higher level you know like obviously stand up and acting like to be doing work that is so as you say undeniable uh that I can uh (laughs) (laughs) that I can you know that's why I want to do this you know the the when people have asked me too, like do you want to be famous like what level it's like I want to be doing uh work that's so great that that you're getting recognized for it because of that and if you know shit it does seem pretty awful to be uh so incredibly famous that you can't walk into a, a Quiznos and get a sandwich without being accosted but shit man if that's if that's a part of it like because you're affecting so many people on a on a sweet level then you know I got no problem with that your first big break in show business, what was it? I was definitely getting cast in the heat uh, with Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCarthy just because that was, uh, I'd been playing Wolverine at Universal Studios not even a year prior. And uh, so to not be, and I just quit or gotten fired actually more or less because I was starting to get more stand-up work with Bobby Lee. He was taking me to feature form on the road and it got to a point to where I was like, all right, I should probably... Uh, that's what I want to do. So then I would, I'd have to call in sick and it's a point system at universal studios. The more late calls or sick calls you get, you stack up points and, and, uh, and they were like, it doesn't seem like you really want to be here. You know, I'm like, no, I don't want to be fake Wolverine for the rest of my fucking life. They're like, well, look at Shay. I'm like, 
Shay has been Captain America for 16 years and there's no end in sight. Like I want to, everyone here is trying to, there's a means to an end. I want to like, you know, move on and do more stuff. And that job was great. And I love that I didn't, you know, go the waiting tables route because I wanted to always be interacting with people. How long did you do that? Job? I was at Universal Studios from 2003 until th- 2010. I was a tour guide on the back lot uh, on the tram for three years. And then I was a New York cop, a fake cop that just walked around just bullshitting, improvising with fucking John Stamos and Dave Matthews, Greg Matt. I mean, so many people that would come through. Michael Jackson, I remember screaming at one time and as a as a fake cop and being like, the king of pop, you know, you, you know where the bathrooms are? And him just giving me like a head nod and a smile. Why were you doing that? To make money. They had a, a section called New York Street. So there was like two people up in a window. There's a taxi cab. This is like right but in the middle of the Why would they instruct park. you to shit on Michael Jackson? They didn't instruct street. me to. There was no, that's the beauty of this character. They basically, most of the cops that had this job, because again, it was like New York Street. So there was a cab and a, uh, a, a an Italian restaurant, and then they had two actors leaning out of the window being like, welcome to New York Street, as people walk by and, you know, hey, what's up? And just, you know, talking shit to people. And then they had this cop, uh, you know, with a nightstick walking around. And most of the cops would just kind of, you know, do a few bits, tell people where the bathroom were, uh, was, or, uh, hey, kid, get a haircut. And I'm, you know, I'm fresh out of acting school, so everything is an acting exercise. Even when I was on the tram and I was doing the Jaws part, I would freak the fuck out. I made little girls cry because I was so crazy about, like, there's a goddamn shark over there, you know. <laughs> so you use your comedy on these things. Of course, yeah. I mean, I abandoned the script for the tour so quickly. There was a time no. when the driver was like, I had a, a tram full of Japanese tourists, most of them, and I was like, they, you know, they're all wearing four to five cameras, and he's like, I bet you can't get them to take a picture of those bushes. I'm like, challenge accepted. So I'm like, folks, you're gonna, you don't want to miss this. Get your cameras out. Off to our right. We're actually gonna slow down. Keith is gonna slow down for us. You're gonna see the bushes that were in the film Bushes One and the sequel Bushes Two: Attack of the Bushes. You might remember that scene when Al Pacino was like, "That's a lot of bushes," and they just, I was like, "You guys gotta get them." Just they would all just be like, "We need that memory," you know, and just snap pics of bushes. Bushes. And uh, and so, yeah, you just try to make the best of it. Was there ever a celebrity that you stopped and you had a conversation with and you came out of character? Dave Matthews. I'm a huge Dave Matthews band fan. That was the first. At Wolverine, I came out of the character to talk to Greg Maddox, and he was just like so thrown off. But I was just like, you're one of the best. And he was like, thanks. And I was like, my name's Adam. He's like, I thought you were Wolverine. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't tell my boss. But as the cop... You know, I'm fucking around with Dave Matthews and his family, and I'd just seen the show the night before. And then he's like, "Hey, is there like a bar around here or something?" And I was like, "I was like, oh yeah, let me take you because I had this big like Orville Redenbacher mustache, and I would just, again, like I would give lap dances to old ladies. This cop wasn't from anything, so I used to have a joke where kids would be like, "What movie are you from?" And I'm like, "Oh, it's called a. I was from a movie called I Got a Theater Degree, and this is where it fucking got me, you know. And uh, and uh, and so there was no." Was Wolverine, I would always get uh, chastised for making jokes. And my boss was like, Wolverine isn't supposed to be funny. So stop. Just take pictures. Be eye candy for nerds and heavyset Latina women, you know? <laughs> and so as a cop, though, you're not from anything. So you can bullshit whatever you want. And so Dave Matthews is like, is there a bar? I was like, yeah. I was like oh, yeah, there's a bar down here. I was like, you kids go to Waterworld. I'll take Dad to the bar. We'll hang out. We'll get to know each other. You know, and if, uh, you know, he gets a little too sauced, I'll send him back your way. Don't worry. He, <laughs> he seems like he can handle his booze. You look like a big drinker. And so we start walking down the street. And then he's like, uh, he's like, thanks for taking me to the bar, copper. I go, dude, I was at the show last night. You guys fucking killed it. And he goes, oh, shit. And he goes, 
He goes, oh, you're a real guy in there, huh? And I go, oh, yeah, man, this is just a day job. I definitely don't want to be doing this. And he kind of starts laughing. He goes, can you just break out a character like that? I go, fuck yeah, I can, Dave Matthews. I go, if it's you in here and I want to talk to you. He goes, all right, cool. And then he fist bumps me. And then we walk into this little Irish pub that's at Universal uh, Studios. And uh, and I walk him in there and we chat about the show. And, you know, he lives in Seattle and, you know, obviously from there. And one of my friend's bands is open form a bunch and had open form at that time. And. And then we get into the bar and he's like, he's like, I feel weird asking, but do you want to come in and have one with me? I was like, dude, I want nothing more, but I think that will be the thing that gets me fired. And, uh, and he's like, it's worth, it might be worth the risk. And I was like, it's definitely worth the risk, but, um, you know, I don't want to, don't want to not be working here. And, uh, and he was like, all right, cool. And then that was that they really to that. It's so funny that even at every job, the behind the scenes of the theme park world still is something I would love to turn into something. And I've got a handful of, you know, uh, scripts about it because there's so much that people don't know everyone there is trying to be in the business and it's so again i i I wanted that energy for a going to the theme park and being around people whose this is their vacation like the the positivity around that is so um uh palpable and then to be a part of i mean the amount of people's days that i made from an interaction or that broke down crying because they met Wolverine, you know, and again, I, you know, I talk about it in my act, like I didn't know shit about Marvel comics. So these little kids would just be like, what's Wolverine's favorite food? And I was like, potato salad, fuck off, you know? And, uh, but they really like think you're the real thing. And, but then uh, there are like any job, like, you know, lines you have to stay in. And my boss would always give me a hard time because I would just try to entertain. And as this fake cop, there was like a squirt gun at a kiosk one day and it was super hot. And I took this thing and I just started spraying tourists in the back and, and, and spraying it up in the air and getting people wet and just doing all sorts of games with it. And she comes out and she goes, Hey, this is 1940s New York. She goes, what are you doing with that, with that squirt gun? This is what if people walk by and say, what is that cop doing with that squirt gun in the 1940s? And I go, Jenna, with all due respect, a trolley just drove by me with five old Curious George and Spongebob, and they were singing the song, ooh ee, ooh ah ah, ching chang, walla walla, bing bang. I go, no, I'm not a history buff, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that was not any sort of World War II anthem or, uh, you know, song from back in the day. And she's like, it is your job to make them think that this is the 40s. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, literally, there's a small chunk, and no one's going to walk out of the park being like, yeah, I had a good time, but that cop, that squirt gun, like... It was, did not fit the time period. So you got the heat yeah. when you were working? And no, were... shortly after that. I started getting road work with Bobby Lee and, and quit and made a choice to just bet on myself and be like, I'm going to figure it so out. So Bobby Lee was the guy who helped you quit your day job and you never went back again. Yeah. Yep. It's a, yeah, it's, a, it's incredible. I mean, because look, a lot of people don't know, but not when you take somebody on the road, it's a, 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 a big deal just you know, for the upgrade in time you get and experience and hopefully uh, camaraderie you develop with the headliner, but not all headliners will pick up your flight. And I've gone out with guys where I wanted the experience. So I would get my own flight and then make a little bit of money and the club would put me up and I would just kind of break even. But um, thankfully, Bobby, you know, does it the right way and, and would get my flight so that I could walk away with a little bit of money. And then and then, uh, you know, started to do some other side gigs and, you know, dressed up as Superman for a kid's birthday party once and got made fun of by these dads and fucking roasted them back. And then they told me to leave <laughs> because I just was like, I don't want to, I'm doing this for a hundred dollars. And they were like drunk and busting my balls. So I like, you know, my theme park comic experience comes back. And so I like made some joke about one of the dads being bald and something else and about his tiny dick or whatever. And like, they just were like, get out of here, man. And then one of the dads goes, all right, you're done. He's like, you already took pictures with my kids. Get the fuck out of here. I was like, all right. But so 
being on the 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 road was I could make a little bit of money, and then uh, and then I you know was auditioning obviously and trying to uh, have that be the main thing, and then I went in for Untitled Buddy Cop, and I was like, there's no way. I knew it was Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCarthy, and again, it's like I'd done one guest star on According to Jim and a few other little things, and. Which, by the way, is so funny. I got a guest star on According to Jim in 2007, two years after I graduated college. And it was like the season premiere, and I crushed it. And, and the director was like, man, we're gonna, we're always going to try to figure a way to bring you back. And this is two, two years after college, and I'm just like, here we go. According to Jim, fucking sky's the limit. And then the, he was like, what, 2013? Like six years later, it was like the next thing that... So, I mean, it's just like you, there's no, there's no rhyme or reason, I, you know, thinking that one, and you know, I was crazy to think that one guest star was going to change the game. And even the Heat didn't totally unbelievable experience, you know, it's like a going an audition and they didn't, obviously I think need anybody famous for it, even though I know a lot of famous people that went in for it and, and guys with a lot more credits than me. But as Paul Feig told me, he was like, you were the best at that. Like you came in and were the best for that, for the job. So that's how I work. I didn't want to, he's like, yeah, there were way more famous people that came in, but like you were the best for that. So, but that's not always how it works. Right. I mean, sometimes they're just like, all right, yeah, he was, might've been funnier, but let's get this name in here. But when you have Bullock and McCarthy, I don't think you need any other names to sell it. But, um, when you walk on the set like that and Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCarthy have trailers the size of Afghanistan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're on the set to do your first scene. You're walking on. Tell me what was going on inside your stomach and your heart as you're walking onto the set for your first scene with Sandra or Melissa or both. I'll never forget it. I mean, it was my heart was beating through my chest. I was sick to my stomach. I was I couldn't help but uh, it was outer body where you're just like, I was so vividly thinking of just being at Universal Studios and, and I'm like, how am I here? And like, why am I here? And like, um, and, you, and, you, and you question for a minute, like, and my first scene was holding guns at their uh, head, sneaking up behind them and this whole like, you know, badass like scene where I catch them sneaking up on Michael McDonald who played my like boss in the movie. And so it's with, with both of them. And, and so A, I'm trying to feel out how much small talk can I make with them? How do just, and then, you know, how much to improvise, knowing it's a comedy, knowing they both are going to want to do it, knowing Paul Feig's history with comedies and improvising. And so all that's going through my head. And then I just, and then try to get the lines right, trying to hold the guns right. Look, Don't look like you don't know how to hold guns. You know, I was holding a squirt gun in a theme park. That's not the same shit. And, uh, and all that's going through my head. And then you just, I just kind of took a moment and, and I remember I was like, you know what I'm going to try to do? I'm going to try to just like throw a Hail Mary and improvise something in the first take. And if I and if it, if I make them laugh, I will settle in and I'll know I'm supposed to be here. So you abandoned the script on your no, first no, take? No, I did the script, but I added I added uh, something. Okay, did yeah. you tell them you were going to add something? No. Paul gave me the Wait. confidence that he goes, he goes, we're going to do some stuff. But he goes, he goes, you know, you were super funny in your audition. He goes, you know, just trust yourself if there's something you want to do do it and you know that's easier said than done still because you're like oh, does he mean like you just you know does he mean whatever i'm just so nervous for lack of a better word and uh and then i improvised some stuff and um and uh we did the scene and then uh melissa just looked at me and just goes that was really fucking funny and then uh and then sandra said something to the extent of that as well and then I just kind of settled in after that and all the nerves like went away. It was almost like 
you know, doing a new venue as a comic where you, uh, or a bigger stage than you're accustomed to and getting that first laugh and just being like, okay, this is, like when I did the Kevin and Bean April Foolish in the show for the first time, I was like 5,000 at the Shrine. I was, you know, anxious, but very nervous because I was the biggest crowd and, and then first laugh and then it was just like any other set. And so this was very uh, similar to that. And, uh, and then also they were so, you know, and now they've both become uh, good friends because they were so... Uh, encouraging of just uh, me being me and I I made an active point to go out of my way to not just sit there all of our scenes were together so we're sitting together every day for a month and a half and so I'm like well I could sit here and not talk or I can go out of my way to chum them up and then you try to feel that out and they were both very uh, receptive to just shooting the shit and then you know and also that makes me more comfortable if I don't have any sort of um, rapport uh if I'm working with anybody, I, it, I, I don't feel like I can, that's why at comedy clubs too. I get to know the staff and everybody because then I feel like I can do my job the best because I feel very, uh, comfortable in my, um, surroundings. And, but they were, you know, they made me feel that way. And, uh, and then once I felt they gave me a little, you know, slice of, of confidence. And then I was like, Oh yeah, I'm supposed to be here. I did get this job and now just trust yourself and everything you've done up to this till this point, you know, if you want to improvise and then I was improvising a lot and there's so much shit that there was this one night where we were doing this club scene and it was just Sandra and I and Paul was like, I'm just going to give you two long takes and just hit on her and just be as douchey and whatever as you want. And I just like locked in and it might have been one in the morning and she was so tired and and uh, I mean, she broke so many times because it was just, you know, you're like, all right, this might be the last movie I ever do. It's me and Sandra Bullock. Like I just my job is to hit on her and be funny. And so, I mean, I just was like it's probably locked in as I've ever been. And she was just cracking up and, and, and that's, I think when we really became uh, pals too, because then she was just like, you know, texting me uh, the next day being like, that was so long. I was so tired, but like you were making me laugh so hard. That was awesome. And, 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 you know, again, those are little like mini victories where you go, okay, cool. Like I just, the, the validating of, of what you're, you're doing. And, uh, you know, obviously there's so much stuff that you do that doesn't make the cut. That's a bummer, but you know, uh, you know, eventually you get to that point to where you're the, the main person, right? And then more of your shit gets in. But it's it's always that, like, when I saw the movie, too, I, so many of my friends and family were so pumped. And then I was like, yeah, but there was so much funnier stuff I did. And one of my buddies was like, you're in a fucking, the biggest comedy of the summer. And I was like, yeah, you're right. But again, it's that n- never being totally satisfied that I think that it is, uh, you know, good to not lose, right? But also you got to step back and, acknowledge the the good stuff so you don't skip by it hey everybody let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success it's a project i've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition whether you want to do stand-up sketch improv acting writing producing directing radio social media influencing or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business, I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it. 
because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Hey everybody, I've talked a lot about AquaTrue on this show, the amazing water purification system that's literally a miniature water cooler in your home that purifies the water in a way that no one else has ever figured out how to do. It's this incredibly efficient piece of equipment and it gives you the best tasting water you can ever imagine for pennies. You just take it out of the box, plug it in, put your tap water in it, and it takes out all the bad chemicals and gives you the best and healthiest water you can ever imagine, saving you thousands of dollars each year from buying bottled water in the store. I have one at my house and office and Everyone who uses it orders one, and you should too. Just go to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry, and if you act now, you can get $100 off and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had, and never waste another dollar buying bottled water again. I just want to share another groundbreaking product with you. It's a revolutionary air purifier that will change the way your home operates. And I'm talking about the air doctor. The air inside our home can be up to a hundred times more polluted than the air outside. But with the air doctor, you don't have to worry about it as it removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses and so many other contaminants that circulate throughout our homes. Till now, the only thing that could come close to this product were systems that cost thousands of dollars. But now you can get the Air Doctor for a fraction of the cost, normally $600. And if you don't believe me, check Amazon. But for a limited time, I can give you 50% off and save you $300. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and get rid of all the bad toxins in your home. I'm telling you, I have this product. It really, really works. So get one now and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air you can ever imagine. One, one dos, two, three, five, cinco, six. Six degrees of separation. All right, six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention a name of somebody, and you tell me what comes to mind. It could be a word, could be a sentence, could be a story. Jennifer Lopez. Whoa. <laughs> Jennifer Lopez. Well, I'm, uh, I'm in this movie that comes out in the fall called Second Act with her that my buddy Peter Seagal directed. I had a couple of scenes with her, and uh, oh, man. She is a, um, the aura surrounding uh, that person is fucking bonkers. I've never been so, starstruck isn't the right word, um, mesmerized by someone's aura and presence before, like I was when she walked in to start shooting and I met her. And, uh, and I tried to make a joke as soon as she walked in, because again, like, I didn't feel like, hi, my name's Adam was enough. And so I go, uh, uh, she goes, hi. And, and Peter Segal, the director, goes, this is uh, Adam. He's playing so-and-so. And she goes, oh, hi. And she goes, how do you know Pete? I go, we used to fuck. 
And then there's just a pause and she didn't laugh. <laughs> and she just stared at me. And I go, kidding, obviously. I go, we still fuck. <laughs> and did she laugh then? A little bit. And then uh, she looked at Pete and then she just like kind of pointed and then she kind of like smirked. And then she goes, well, uh, nice to meet you. And, uh, <laughs> and But then I guess the smile of like, that was a bold choice. And I recognize that but let's uh knowing that you're not here for the whole movie is probably a good thing but but she was unbelievable and i even got you know pete again being a great comedy director let me improvise and i made her laugh a few times in the scene and and that was incredibly gratifying because i mean come on like again but again the the uh uh what is the word i'm looking for um I guess mesmerized, but uh, but uh, as good as it gets, you know, as sweet and as when you see somebody like that and you see all they've accomplished and and what they do for other people and how you know you hear the stories of at least I have with her with with fans and how she was on set and to me and uh, total total package. Larry David. Oh man, on my Mount Rushmore for sure. I think one of the sweetest and funniest people I've ever met and again that is a that's really what what draws me in John Legend John Legend I uh met him uh when I opened for him uh at Red Rocks and uh my friend one of my best friends from college who um yeah saved my life more or less I got this weird uh throat uh viral bacteria called epiglottitis when I was a senior in college and I woke up and it felt like I was swallowing over a softball and uh, she uh, I, I called her and I was like I can't make it to acting class today I can't do our scene because I my uh, throat feels like it's closing up and she goes yeah you sound awful I'm going to take you to my ear nose and throat doctor in Beverly Hills right now and she took me there and they put a scope up my nose and down my throat and they're like yeah your, your air passageway is closing up you're going to suffocate we got to get you to the ER and so they got me and admitted me and I was there for four days and, and uh, otherwise I would have suffocated in my apartment given uh, because of the penicillin that the USC Health Center gave me and didn't know it was wrong so she saved my life so she started this pilot festival in Denver um and uh, called Series Fest, and she got John Legend to uh, do the opening night, and I got to do stand-up and open for him and for 10,000 people, and that was, uh, talk about a humbling moment. I mean, like, they're there for John Legend, but she was trying to, you know, uh, throw me a bone and, and just and include me, and, uh, and she, you know, man, that was intimidating, and you cannot hear all the laughter you want to hear with 10,000 people at an outdoor amphitheater, and uh, at one point I made a joke about, should I just uh, sing some John Legend songs a cappella, and I heard like a handful of people go, fuck no, <laughs> and, uh, but he was uh, as sweet as you can imagine, and um, and was very kind too, because I remember I got off stage, and and he was like, man, you were doing your thing. I was like, I'm sorry. I hope I didn't fuck it up. He's like, no, man. He's like, I'm going to still do what I'm going to do. He's like, he's like, I'm, he's like, as long as you didn't like, you know, do something to the piano. I was like, no, you're going to be fine, man. But uh, again, one of those humbling moments where you get an opportunity to do something that you uh, never thought you would do. And, uh, and you envision it going one way and it goes another. But then, uh, uh, you know, you're, uh, you're, you're leveled out by the, the person that you... Uh, you know were involved with for that gig uh you know is encouraging enough to be like hey man 
I'm sure you have other shows coming up. This won't be the end of it. And I was like, no, I actually quit comedy after tonight. Susan Sarandon. Oh, boy. I met Susan Sarandon, which is fucking bonkers, uh, at... Uh, at at dinner, Michael McDonald was doing shows in Gotham, and Paul Feig had given him and I parts in Spy, and uh, the premiere was in New York, and so I went out to do shows with Michael, and Susan Sarandon came to the last show, and because uh, Michael knew her from Mad TV, and uh, we all went out to dinner, and, uh, and we all just had a great time, and and I think she was fresh out of a relationship, and. And I was, uh, you know, turning up the charm and uh, we were all getting nice and sauced. And then I uh, said, you should be my date to the spy premiere. And then uh, she was like, oh, yeah, I know Melissa. and That'd be fun. And and I was like, but don't fuck this up for me. Uh, I got two lines in the movie. So this is a pretty big deal. You know, I'm going to be walking the carpet and uh, don't make me look bad. And so then we picked her up in an Uber and we were going to get high and then go to the movie. Uh, but uh, we left too late, so that didn't happen. Because that would have been a blast. You know, that's definitely a bucket list thing. That wouldn't. That's not on my bucket list. But if I had smoked weed with Susan Sarandon, I would have written it down on my bucket list and then crossed it off because it should it should be there. But she was uh, amazing and uh, you know very uh, educated in the uh, in the acting department and, and gave me a lot of really cool advice um, um, about just the business and and how to deal with the highs and lows. And, um, I love when I meet people like that, that go out of their way to, um, you know, not be preachy, but to give you some insights and they recognize that you're, I think she could tell that I was, you know, grinding pretty hard. And and so she gave me some nice tidbits that, uh, that I'll never forget. And also, I don't know exactly how old she is, but man, she is still killing it. Neil Patrick Harris. Neil Patrick Harris, I met uh, through Brad. He met him uh, doing a show just for laughs, and uh, and we got to go to his place in New York and do the podcast and talk about a guy that, you know, Doogie Howser and Steve Urkel were probably uh, <laughs> probably two of my biggest heroes growing up, uh, uh, you know, from TV, and uh, and so that was a, a pretty crazy thrill to be at his place interviewing him for the podcast, and another guy that just. You know, you look at his body of work and, and, you know, a career that I would love to emulate where you can, um, you know, obviously go back to theater and hosting things and what he's done in film and TV and uh, a, a, a does it all guy. And I definitely still want to try to pull that off and, and make that a part of my uh, my journey. And uh, another very inspiring, sweet dude. And again, when you meet people of that stature and have accomplished so much to to see how humble and generous they still are and for him to make time like that for us was uh was really cool because the uh the amount of people I've met that have not been that way is not not as much but you know you you can only hope that as you get that amount of success that you stay uh grounded and and want to still do things like you know let a Jew and a dwarf into your apartment and talk to you for an hour and a half Whitney Cummings Man, Whitney is one of the uh, first uh, comics that I met that really um, gave me a lot of um, great uh, encouragement when I first started out. And uh, one of the first people that I felt comfortable to talk to at the comedy store, because that's such an intimidating place when you're a young comic and you want to feel uh, a part of that world and you're trying to just hang out as much as possible and be around and 
And uh, I remember I locked eyes with her and, and so then I just walked up and started talking and you know, I've done that to a handful of other comics during that time when I was starting out and they would just kind of give me a quick hello or not even acknowledge anything and then just move on. And, and she was one of the first people that, uh, that definitely took me in and, and, and talked to me like I was, you know, uh, didn't care that I uh, had just started. And she was, you know, obviously way more successful, uh, but gave me, again, great advice about stand up and, and um, uh, things to do and not do and and you know i asked her about a you know a couple questions about um you know certain jobs that i wanted to take just because of the money and and her you know advising against that and do things you know the power of saying no and i know you you've, you you preach that a lot too i'm sure that's where she got it from and <laughs> and uh yeah again and, and just feeling like not even like that we were turned into best friends but somebody that has uh been a nice uh support system uh, through my my time where where you get little check-ins and again people that you look up to it's cool when you feel like no one's watching and I think everyone is keeping tabs on everyone more or less so when you get somebody that you've always looked up to that will uh, at some point say like hey I saw this or I heard you doing this or bubble or congrats whatever it is like you know you you got to be your biggest cheerleader but we can get some rah rahs from outside of that it always feels good mad tv Oh man, I wish it was still on. That uh man, talk about something that you just could only control what you could control, which was trying to be as funny as possible. I think I was definitely like an elder statesman on that show, uh, as far as experience in the business and the amount of you know, just uh things I had gotten and not gotten in the business. So you know, I almost, <laughs> I've definitely felt older than everybody because of that. You know what I'm saying? As far as when frustrations would be shared between cast members about certain things, I was, again, the way I would with my mom and sister, not come to the rescue, but be quick to speak on things as far as like, hey guys, let's like, this is why this is and listen, like, and let's stop worrying about this and like, let's control what we can control because that experience uh, was one I'll never forget. It was something I wanted very badly and the first time I really I think cried when I got a job because I the audition process was so rigorous and sketch is something that I had been doing since you know high school and, and the YouTube and, and when I was working at Funny or Die for a few years and, and how much sketch comedy I was doing to try to create my voice and a brand for myself post college when you you know are trying to build something out of nothing and and working at universal and then i was like i'll do open mics and i'll make videos and i'll start and some of those started to hit and that's how i started to get any sort of recognition of of being somebody in uh in the comedy world and i just loved it i've always and then the more i got into stand-up i had my own point of view so i i backed off on the sketch stuff but it's always where i feel the most uh i think comfortable and where i have the most fun and so getting to do it with actual props and sets and, and a budget and on a on a TV network was unbelievable and uh, man it's it's a big fucking bu let's go back to the divorce material this is uh, not, it was the people I met uh, being around talented people and getting to just have fun at the core of it was um, just you know that's the dream of all this is to get to and that's why sketch and stand up I think are so different but so uniquely rewarding is the getting to play off of other people and, and meeting somebody like Piot and getting to have these really special moments in a sketch and, and being so different but 
getting to um, make something so great uh, by bringing something completely uh, unique to the table was awesome. But, uh, you know, shit, again, this business, like, can give you something and take it away so quickly. I thought when I when we got that, we were all like, oh, this is getting rebooted. It's like, how can you fuck up a, a franchise that is so um, reputable and and it's been off for so long and it's coming back and this is again a great learning lesson you know what I'm saying like I thought I was gonna that would go for at least like I mean at least like five years you know what I'm saying and I, and who knows where I would be now if that was still on but also um, who knows the things I've done since if I would have done those because of that but that is uh, that's like the one that got away for sure because again at the core of it it was too much fun and I felt like I was uh learning a lot and coming into my own as a as a performer and um but uh but fuck <laughs> hopefully maybe we can bring it back on UPN or something Sandra Bullock oh man um just a gem of a human being probably uh pound for pound the uh the most generous uh honest straightforward uh, funny person that I uh, and and champion of all people and and all that is. There's not a bad bone in her body, you know. what I'm saying like it's. Um, she's, uh, you know, her her and uh, my mom are probably two of the the women in in my life that I've come across that have been so quick to uh, to be uh, selfless with their. Um, uh, advice uh, on on how I should uh, you know operate in certain aspects of life and uh, and just a, a a great friend and uh, and somebody that I know is always there for me and and has taught me so much uh, on and off screen and um, and again a person that you put up on this pedestal that you know after one one conversation you're like oh yeah you're just a person and it's nice to be reminded that like. You know the uh, just because you get a, a certain amount of um, success and and credibility that you you don't have to turn into a piece of shit and uh, she is you know what you see is what you get which is why when you know she was cool enough to do uh, the about last night podcast uh, you know people were so pumped to hear that she like she's so great and it's like yeah obviously like you just you know when you surround yourself with good people like she's done and you do things the right way and you're good to people I I think you uh you know the universe rewards you um but uh feel very fortunate that she's uh that i was able to to meet her and become friends with her eliza schlesinger man talk about a workhorse i have so much respect for anybody that grinds as hard as uh as she does um you know i think it's people uh, often uh, judge too quickly based on one encounter or one experience with someone and I, I feel fortunate enough to have known Eliza uh, since we pretty much both started and uh, know her well on and off stage and, uh, again, know how how sweet and uh, and and kind of a person she is and, and is just dialed into trying to be the, uh, the best that she can. And, uh, you know, there's no replacement for the work in our business. You know that. And, and she just... Uh, you know, just like anyone who wants to be great has sacrificed, you know, a lot to, to get to where she's at. And uh, and super smart. I like being around people where I'm 
I feel like I'm definitely not the smartest person in the room, which is a lot of the time. Uh, but she uh, is somebody that I can have a really intellectual conversation with and heartfelt stuff and then also uh, be really silly with. And doing the game show with her on TBS, another show that I thought would go like four or five years, um, was, uh, was a great learning experience because, you know, it was definitely a collaborative show. Both of us were integral parts, but uh, she was very uh, generous as far as making sure that I was, uh, you know, featured and, and just as a, a part of that process as, as, uh, as she was. But um, a workhorse. Jason Derulo. Fuck, man. What a cool dude. I wish I was best friends with him. But uh, I met him doing a, a promotional thing on Extra for Mad TV. And uh, again, man, the power of comedy was him, myself, and The Bachelor at the time, this guy, Nick Vial. And uh, and I was there. It was like a segment where it was like to, to talk about what women like look for in a guy, what women want. And so I just was like, well, I'm here. Derulo's here to be hot. The Bachelor's here to be the bachelor and, and probably kind of douchey. And so I'm here for the comedic aspect of this. So I tried to make Drulo laugh and, uh, and did. And then he was like, man, you're hilarious. We should hang out. I was like, yeah, we should be best friends, Jason Drulo. And then he gave me his number and started uh, harassing him to do the podcast. And we went to his fucking mansion and did it. And he could have been cooler. And, and, um, now, uh, we're talking about maybe doing a, uh, another, like, like show uh together another like you know radio show type thing and um another guy too that his story when you hear people's stories that they've you know definitely had to i mean he was like dancing on the streets of new york and eating ramen and bananas like to, to survive and and now he's just you know mega superstar um i was just talking about this with uh, melissa via senior today like how many times you get inspired in a given year by somebody and to meet someone that is has a really uh, uh, inspiring story and is, you know, true in, in the way they talk about it and their struggles and they don't, you know, uh, shy away from acknowledging how tough things were is always, uh, it helps, you know, because uh, everyone just sees people that are super successful and think that they just did a couple things and got there. I think Ashton Kutcher, he might be the only one that wasn't he like just discovered in like a, a coffee bean. They were like, you probably got a big dick. Like, where these underwears, right? Last name on the list, Melissa McCarthy. Melissa McCarthy is a comedy wrecking force. She's probably, man, probably the funniest person that I know that doesn't even try to be funny. You know what I'm saying? Like where you just, she's just, you know, and I know she was this way as a kid, just literally every moment she knows probably has five or six different ways to make you laugh in that moment. And and uh you never see the wheels turning you know what i'm saying it's just always happening and uh again maybe one of the sweetest people you'll you'll ever meet is what you see is what you get grinded so hard to get to where uh she is and so is you know very grateful for for all the the success she's having and uh and f the most fun to improvise with uh we had some takes in the heat where we went probably 5 or 6 minutes back and forth just insulting each other before they blew me up at the end of the heat spoiler alert if you haven't seen it you asshole it came out 10 years ago um but uh she uh she she's um fearless and i uh i'm always trying to take more risks uh in uh in in everything i do and she's someone that definitely um you know uh displays that in everything she does she just is uh 
taking chances and um and she told me that once she was like you just if you like you got she's like you gotta trust your instincts she's like you know what you're doing like there's only one adam ray she's like so if you you have an idea if there's something you want to do like do it like what's 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 going to stop what's the worst that can happen something doesn't isn't funny something doesn't work people don't say yes to this idea she's like oh cool then what do you do you you try again right you come up with something else and uh obviously i'm like that's easy for you to say everything you say is fucking funny but um yeah and uh she i will tell one quick great melissa mccarthy story we were at uh it was the first time i hung out with her and sandra bullock and michael mcdonald uh well, we were filming in Boston, and I was doing a set at the comedy studio. And Michael texted me. He's like, you got to come hang out with, uh, with all of us. We're, we're at some tapas restaurant, and I hadn't hung out with them yet, so I was so nervous. And, and I get over there, and, and, uh, and, uh, and Melissa, I think this was her first time her family had left. They'd been there on set most of the time, and this was like a Saturday. We didn't shoot until Tuesday. And so uh, they were getting pretty sauced. And so I get there, and Melissa was pretty drunk. And we were just like, this is my first time like offset with them. We're hanging out and we're laughing. And at one point, Melissa had my full beard and she was grabbing my beard and she was, you know, rapping about it. And we were, just, and so I'm jumping in. We're rapping about my beard for like 10 minutes. And then we all left. And then I see him on, uh, on Tuesday and I'm like, man, what a crazy Saturday. It was so fun. We got to do that again. I go, that rap about my beard. I go, we should probably like get into a studio and lay that down on a track and put it on iTunes. And she just goes, you were there. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, you're such a gangster. Like, <laughs> Just living your best life. <laughs> your proudest moment in show business. Uh, well, there's, look, I think there's definitely like a, a deep-rooted um, need to, for whatever reason, I think with my, uh, with my uh, dad, like not being around so much, I think I, for whatever reason, always still, didn't realize how much of like the approval or um, wanting to make him proud, probably because there were a lot of things he missed out on or didn't see that I, and he was never discouraging about me going for those. It was always very much like, yeah, you're going to do it uh, and go for it and all that. But um, as I got older, I, I found that I, I had more of a, an urgency to like, you know, do something that made him really, um, I guess, proud of me and 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 uh and uh, i remember when he came and saw me do uh uh my first headline gig and um and uh and he was just so pumped that that i was doing it and he'd you know had seen all the work and I'd be calling him all the time when I was at Universal Studios and complaining about how like maybe I'm just going <laughs> to be here forever and I just want to be out of here and and uh, and he uh, was then uh, with me when I got the call that I had gotten the heat to and he just kind of like broke down and so that was a pretty that was a pretty proud moment um, just because it was A, I was able to share that with somebody you know like there's so many you all, again you just want to being able to share any sort of, of these mini victories is way better. That's why anything I do, I try to, you know, bring friends or family along to experience it. And, uh, that was, that was a pretty big one. And then getting mad TV was the, the, probably the most, uh, rigorous audition process I've ever been through. And, uh, you were even so kind to, to counsel me through some moments of that and give me some really great advice, Thanks, man. which was unbelievable. And, uh, and uh 
it was just one of those things of there's there's so many times I've busted my ass to try to get something and it hasn't happened. And it was just you, you can definitely start to get to a point to where you're like, man, man, maybe I just, you know, you got to keep throwing darts against the wall and maybe one of them will stick. But then after a while, you're like, maybe one's just not going to stick or maybe I'll hit 70 and then I'll fucking get a. You know, I'll I'll be in the Golden Girls reboot, and I'll have gotten a sex change, and I'll be B. Arthur or something. But you know, but uh, but when I got Mad TV, it was a it was a big like, fuck man, all that work paid off, and uh, and it happened, and and uh, so that was pretty cool. Also, my bar mitzvah, there were a lot of haters saying that I wasn't going to be able to read my Torah portion, <laughs> and I fucking I did it. How many <laughs> times you get hit in the head by candy? <laughs> Too many. <laughs> yeah, Jews love to throw candy for some reason. Your biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next level. Look, I, I feel like I've gotten to a point with stand-up now, 11 years. I've done, you know, I don't count shows, but I know that, you know, there's a given week where I'm going up 12 times. You know, I, there's no, and, and, on, and headlining on weekends and just doing any show and every show and, uh, a stage is a stage to me. And, um, but I definitely, uh, you know, the amount of people that I think that, uh, that have, uh, been a champion of, of me and my standup has, uh, been awesome and feels good. And, uh, but then the people that quote unquote matter networks and whatnot that have thought what I'm doing is, um, worthy of, uh, whether it's a special or a, a late night appearance or whatnot, hasn't uh hasn't uh translated yet and that's uh that's one of those things that is um again like you can have these amazing shows and and you know look even tom segura who's one of my favorite comics uh i don't think i'd ever seen me and i've followed dana carvey at this laugh factory show the kevin nealon show and and this has just come from a uh that same day where i had gotten um, told no from a, a handful of places about doing a special, and, uh, and it was a real big fucking bummer because I, I just uh, I was like these people don't they have this idea of me they haven't seen me in a while they have um, these preconceived notions and they they don't they're they're making up uh, something based on the last time they saw me and and uh, it's tough to get people to come out and see you or watch something that you show them based on again, how they think of you at that time or, or whatever sort of buzz they feel is around you. And I had this night at the Laugh Factory. I was in a real down mood. And uh, But again, I having shows or podcasts or something to put your focus into makes it so that you don't sit in that sulk and you go, I, I don't have time to feel bad for myself. I got to go do this. And so I uh, ended up going up and, and Dana crushed and Tom was supposed to go next and they called my name instead. And I went up and, and just... Uh, tried to use all of that negative uh feedback that was coming my way and be like i'm gonna fucking have the set of my life tonight and and blow and follow dana carvey who had a standing ovation and uh and one of my favorite comics who's never seen me is in the back and i'm gonna just try to have a, you know just do it for myself but also a, you know you're you can't help but you stick it to the the people that uh you know as um as tiffany had said today like if they say no you know make them make them say yes and and I give him, you know, give him a reason. And, and so, uh, you know, Tom came up to me after and I just, I had a, just a, one of those sets where you're just like, fuck, like I wish all those people that said no were here. And, uh, and Tom was like, man, it was unbelievable, blah, blah, blah. And he was so complimentary. And, and, uh, and that was, um, 
I needed that, you know? It was, because uh, as much, again, as you can um, rah-rah yourself, like having people that you look up to take a, take a second to even say that was, uh, was huge. And then I was like, hey, Tom, can you call Netflix real quick? Can you, can you shoot them a quick text? They love you. And he was like, I got to go. I was like, all right. <laughs> Last question. What advice would you give to the person who grew up in a rough family situation and maybe wasn't the peak of physical conditioning as a young child, <laughs> but had an inspiration to want to be in this business and how they could have the kind of career that you've had? Well, I think, um, fuck, Katie Couric over here. Your questions are always so deep, Barry. And really, really thought-provoking. My um, apologies. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I think I'm not a super spiritual guy. I'm not a, a real big believer in, um, especially any of that astrology shit, but I do believe in karma. I, Leo. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a Gemini. I only know that because my friend is super into it and she's just like, I'll do certain things. And she's like, that's very Gemini of you. I'm like, okay, just what? Cause I finished, I finished the sandwich and I said I wasn't going to. And yeah, that's a Gemini move. Okay. And, uh, I think that I'm glad that everything has happened the way that it's happened. I, you know, somebody asked me that, um, a few months ago where they were like, do you ever like wish that you had not been a fat kid or that your parents hadn't gotten divorced? I was like, no, fuck no. Like that made me who I am and that, and that I knew who I was, I think pretty early on. And now it's just been this, you know, uh, not struggle, but, um, you know, um, interesting journey of trying to get to a point to where I'm not trying to take care of the people around me and in my life so much, but trying to really put some of that back on me and make sure that I'm putting me first. Cause I still, I think struggle with that, with trying to come to the rescue with a lot of my family and, and, you know, uh, financially in the last couple of years of, uh, uh, you know, been, been taking less, um, of, uh, of that for myself and, and putting it back to, uh, to my family to help them. But I mean, look, the glass half full approach has always been my view for everything on and off stage. And I think that's the only way to be. I think there's just so much. There's always a reason to get bummed out about something or to find something to depress you or to um, uh, to get bitter about or to compare yourself to somebody or or find a reason to uh, think that, y you know, you should have gotten something or that you're thinking that you're going uh, in, a, in a direction that's not, you know, conducive to to living a, a, a happy life. And uh, I would tell that young kid that like, first of all, uh, fat kids are funny. So don't worry about that. Give yourself a nickname before kids give you one. Um, and, uh, and, and comedy really, you know, learning to laugh at yourself is, is overlooked, I think, too much. There's a lot of people, not only in in politics especially, but just in every aspect of life where it's like, man, if you just lighten up and and count your blessings and look at like, find the funny in so many, like that's one of the benefits of comedy, the amount of like shitty things that I've, you know, gone through or even happened in, a, in just a day-to-day -day, uh, situation that I've been able to quickly turn because I've been able to find the, uh, the lighter side of whatever that moment is, um, isn't valuable. And that's, that's only because of, 
of comedy and getting to a point where I've conditioned myself to see the world like that and to not, you know, again, you have a choice on how you, you want to feel about something. And, uh, um, so I would tell that kid, you know, fucking just, I don't know, smile, smile more, look in the mirror, smile to yourself and, uh, and, you know, feel your pulse. You're still, still alive. And then, um, you know, if you're, uh, if you're, if you have access to it, uh, befriend a little person and, uh, and hit that bong, you know, <laughs> Adam Ray, you just channeled that universal city walk cop like nobody ever did on this podcast. Oh shit, man. Thank you so much. You were amazing. Barry, it's man. an honor, man. This, uh, this, you know, I listen to your podcast all the time, so it's, oh. uh, it's crazy to have me on here with all the greats. You say that to all the lesbians. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks, I really man. appreciate it. It was awesome. Thanks, Love buddy. you too, buddy. Okay, I'm going to scroll through the list of people who sent me a message, and one of these people will be a lucky winner. And they'll get to attend a podcast live with one of my guests, meet them, shake their hand, ask them a few questions, or else if they're out of town, out of state, or out of the country, We'll Skype them in or FaceTime them or anything like that so they can be there. Why not? So let me look here randomly and pick somebody. Landing on Neb Analyst. I know I'm saying that wrong, but I'm sorry. October 8th, 2018. Heading reads 10 slash 10, five stars. And the comment reads, Barry Katz provides listeners with a witty, insightful inside view what it's like to work in film and television. I am a student at Long Beach City College, and I feel that this podcast has provided me with invaluable knowledge about this industry, which would have been otherwise unaccessible to me. All right. Thank you so much, Neb Analis. <laughs> I really, really appreciate it. You are a winner. And that wraps up part two of our podcast. I just wanted to thank my incredible partners, starting with Wondery. Check out their lineup of some of the greatest podcasts in the world at Wondery.com. And Aquatrue, the revolutionary miniature countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code Barry and start enjoying the best water you've ever had and never buy another bottle of water again. And I Killed JFK, the groundbreaking film about the only living person who admitted to killing Kennedy. Go to IKillJFK.com, buy the film and the rare interviews with five of the last living experts, and I guarantee it'll change your mind about what happened that day. And the Air Doctor, the innovative portable air purification system which will change your overall quality of life. It instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating in your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world.
and Good Company, an extraordinary web series on YouTube that host Scott Bowling created, where you can watch music interviews with incredible artists talking openly about their journey in the music business. If you like a great in-depth music interview where you can hear about each album in chronological order and what the artist experienced along the way, this is the show for you. Interviews with incredible talents like Michael Sweet from Striper, Clinton Lejean from Seven Dust, Brian Head Welsh from Corn, Elias from Nonpoint, Mikey from Islander, Sonny from POD, and Rich Ward from Fozzy and Stuck Mojo, just to name a few. Check out Good Company on any social media outlet under Good Company with Bowling or go to www.scottgoodcompany.com. And finally, Boku Superfoods, the purest, most potent, and delicious certified organic, kosher, and vegan superfood blends on the planet. Boku Superfood is changing the game for thousands of people in 65 countries with their incredible formulated powders that you just add any liquid to and make the healthiest drinks or smoothies in the world. Just go to BokuSuperfood.com. That's B-O-K-U Superfood.com. Look for the three-pack trial. Enter the promo code Barry at checkout. Just pay a minimal shipping fee and get a full week's supply of Boku Superfood for free. I guarantee you'll look and feel better and understand why Boku is the number one family-owned superfood company in the world. And here's a preview of the next very special episode. Jonathan Katz. When I was starting out at the Improv in New York, there was one comedian, I won't mention her name, who I always thought would be the biggest star in the country because she was so aggressive about getting on stage when there was somebody important, quote-unquote, in the audience. And that was not the case. It takes more than that kind of desire I think the best advice about comedy was came from a guy named Mark Schiff, who said to me, the best com- comedy is the most personal. Thank you so much for listening, and have a great day. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money Drop that fancy car All the people love you Cause you're going for Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison, dig your own grave down in the valley. A fortune. Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave... 
Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.